So as we continue our look into complete forgiveness from a biblical standpoint, it's been truly fascinating to me. Uh, some of the feedback, some of the conversations, some of the, uh, the, the talks that I've had with folks about how this series, kind of how this study has, has impacted them, has opened their eyes to some things, has really just struck a chord with them in different ways. And I, I talked a little bit last week about how it's amazing to me, and it just goes to show God's living word as to how uh, one passage of Scripture can speak to different people in so many different ways, on so many different levels. And that's something that, y'all, I can't accomplish that. Like, I, I'm not, you, you all know me, right? I'm not smart enough to be able to take a, a passage and target so many different situations and, and stages of life and, and what you're going through. That, that is the power of the Holy Spirit's written word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? So as we continue to go through this, there's going to be elements that continue to open up kind of uh, different layers that uh, we find in our hearts. Uh, that's been a couple of the comments that I've had so far. Is like this is, this is kind of revealing some layers of, of my life and in my heart that uh, either I didn't know was there or that I had really known, I knew that they were there, and I just kind of made the decision to bury them. Um, we're going to be making a little bit of a transition here in the next little bit because we've so uh, carefully and purposefully looked at forgiveness from the standpoint of us forgiving others up until that up until this point because honestly that's usually one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks and hindrances that we have is uh, the forgiving of people who have hurt us, hurt people we've uh, loved, that we care for, that we're close to, it's difficult for us to walk in forgiveness. Uh, and, and I hope, you know, on our YouTube channel, we've been releasing some little devotional videos a couple of weeks, uh, a couple each week, that's called What Forgiveness Is Not. And, and I hope that you've you've looked into those. If not, uh, when you get a chance, go to our YouTube channel. Those are those are really important for us to understand what forgiveness is, and honestly, what forgiveness is not at the same time. But today, I want us to look at uh, how we've been forgiven to a certain degree. Like we've been forgiven much, right? Like how many of you know that you have been forgiven much? And, and much more than what we deserve. Forgiveness, period, is more than what we deserve. But to be forgiven much is way beyond anything we deserve. And that truly begins to reveal to us the mercy, the grace, and love of our Savior. I want to kind of introduce this statement, and we'll kind of go along with this as we continue this message, is that I believe that if we were to truly understand the depths of how God has forgiven us, then we would have no problem, no hesitation in forgiving others. 
I think that if we really saw the cost of our sin, if we really saw the ugliness of our failures and our disobedience, I think that if we could see item by item, not just in concept to know that the sins are forgiven, but to understand the ramification and the impact that each and every sin that we've had, that God has forgiven both past, both present and into our future, if we were to truly understand the depths of His forgiveness in our life, I don't think that we would have a moment of hesitation in forgiving other people. Because I believe the way that we have wronged God in comparison to the way that others have wronged us, there's no comparison. And I believe that part of our discipleship, part of our growth and maturity into Christ's likeness can be defined in this area, not exclusively this area, but I believe this is one of the biggest indicators that spiritual maturity is shown in our life by the amount of time that it takes for us to move from being offended to forgiving. From the time that we're hurt from the time that we're caused trauma, when pain enters our life, when someone offends us by something they do or something they say, the time in between the moment of the offense and the moment that we choose to say, I forgive them, really reveals our level of maturity in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need a cricket machine. We, we need something. Silence is just awkward, especially when there's a good heart-hitting point that was just made. But that moment in between when someone does or says something that hurts me, the distance in between that and when I'm choosing to forgive them shows my relationship with Jesus Christ. Just how close that really is. C.S. Lewis, I don't have the direct quote, but he likened forgiveness to the monkey bars. How many of you in here could like successfully, not now, okay, not now. Back in your childhood, you know, back in the prime, back in the day. How many of you could successfully navigate monkey bars? I have issue with all you people. I don't know what kind of like motor skills it's required to do that, all I know is that I did not possess those said motor skills. But he likened forgiveness to monkey bars. Like in order to walk in forgiveness and to move forward, you actually have to let go of something. Yeah, I was the kid that got like maybe one out there and then I was like swinging in between until my grip eventually just gave way. But in order for us to walk in forgiveness, we're going to have to let go of some things. We're going to have to let go of them. Now, I want us to look, and, and, and we, it may seem like we're kind of bouncing around from a Scripture standpoint and from a main point, but over the next couple of weeks, you'll see this is, this is very much going to be serving as a bridge to help us get to from where we are currently in this study to where we're going. But if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read a large passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, so follow along with me. It'll be up here on your screens as well. But we're going to start with verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. I want to pause right there for just a minute before I keep on reading. We see this as Peter just kind of being Peter, right? Like Peter's just throwing out a number here. In reality, it was taught that you would forgive up to two to three times. And then forgiven, forgiveness was done. Like if they kept sinning against you in this culture and you had forgiven them three times, then you weren't required to forgive them any longer. So Peter was honestly, I think, trying to be genuinely generous right here. Like he was trying to impress Jesus. He was like, watch this. I'm going to show you who's greatest now. Lord, do we forgive them seven times. And then Jesus goes and he completely blows that out of the water. So understand Peter's motives here. I don't think that he was being kind of trying to find that magic number because this was more than double of what the cultural norm would have been at the time. Verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him and who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. You see, you all laugh every time that I talk about us wanting to choke somebody. It's biblical. It's not good biblical. Not good biblical. But it is biblical. What am I doing? Okay, verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt." so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable is, is an example of God's forgiveness in our life. Because what was forgiven of the initial person was actually a number that they wouldn't have even been able to really comprehend. I mean, it would have been modern day terms, those, the talents that he was forgiven of would have been in the billions of dollars for us. Okay, something that we're never ever going to be able to repay. But yet, this is what this man was imploring, like, please, just forgive me. Let me do this. Let me pay you back. I'll pay you back. I'm good for it. I promise. When knowing all along that in multiple lifetimes, this man could not make enough money to pay back what he owed. But yet when it came to a much smaller amount, he was not willing to forgive someone else of that. You see, it's about the perception of what God has forgiven us. 
And when you and I begin to understand that we have been forgiven so much more than we'll actually be able to comprehend, when we begin to see the amount of depravity, the amount of wickedness, the amount of sin and fallibility that God is willing to look upon and go, in my mercy, in my grace, in my love, I now say forgiven. See, we lose concept of that because the truth is, most of our sins aren't as bad as someone else's. Right? I mean, isn't that the way we justify it, though? I mean, isn't that the way we kind of feel better about ourselves? It's like, man, I sinned again, but at least I didn't do this. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that again, but at least I didn't do that. You know, and then we talked a little bit earlier in this study that, you know, we want the Jesus whenever we sin, we want the Jesus who is turning the other cheek. We want the forgiveness Jesus. So when it's our turn to be uh, confronted with our sin, we want the mercy and the grace. But when it's typically when it's someone else sinning against us, we want the Old Testament God of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But we have to understand that what we are doing, the forgiveness that we're flowing in, is the amount of forgiveness that God is extending towards us. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to have to lay a clarification statement here. I wish that I could spend a lot of time going much, much deeper into this, but I really cannot um, because, I mean, it would, we would be here forever. Um, but we see, like, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? That's an element of forgiveness in this. And then uh, at, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it's actually it's kind of a funny thing. There's like a P.S. on that. That's Matthew 6, if you want to go look at that. But Jesus finishes what the example prayer is, and then he kind of adds, adds a little tagline on. is like, you know, as you forgive people of their sins, so you're going to be forgiven. And then in John chapter 20, Jesus makes the statement of, as you forgive the sins of those, so the Father forgives your sins. And then in James, it talks about confessing our sins one to another and on and on and on. There's so many examples in the New Testament of us forgiving sins. Has anybody ever kind of wrestled with that intellectually? Like ever? Okay, I know that sin is only, you know, the forgiveness of sin is only through Jesus Christ, but yet it's saying here that I must forgive their sins or I'm confused. That's where I kind of landed on that. Until I began to understand through, through a conversation with someone that I greatly admire through several commentaries and some, through some personal revelation that the Lord's Prayer, the forgiving our trespasses, the John 20 and all of the others where it's talking about that we must forgive their sins for our sins. This is not a salvific issue. This is not forgiveness of sins for a salvation situation. These are fellowship sins. Because if you look at the Lord's Prayer, if you look at who Jesus is talking to in John chapter 20, if you look at whom James is writing to in his letter, you will see that these are all addressed to established believers. Like the Lord's Prayer, how does he start that? Our Father 
Right? There's an acknowledgement that belief is already there. The salvation, the, the grace, and the forgiveness for that, they are already God's children. So he's not talking about sins of the salvific nature here. It's not about whether your salvation is dependent upon it or their salvation is dependent upon it. But he is talking about fellowship, relational sins. You know, there's this one passage where Jesus says that if you come to the Father, but if you to offer a sacrifice, but if you have ill in your heart towards your brother, lay the sacrifice on the altar, first go and make things right with your fellow believer, then come back. You see, not only is salvation between us and God a big deal, but it's a really big deal for our relationship with one another in our fellowship. God does not want us holding grudges against one another. God does not want us having this enmity between us. He does not want this chasm to come between us of unforgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see the, the author of Hebrews. Anybody, anybody know who the author of Hebrews is, by the way? I'm just checking. Nobody seems to know that. I'm just every now and then like to throw that question out there. We know the Holy Spirit penned it, but we don't know who the Holy Spirit penned it through. So, uh, but in chapter 12, it says that do not allow the root of bitterness to be established in your heart and defile. That's the words it uses that bitterness, unforgiveness, when they're planted in your heart, they begin to defile the person. If you are in a relationship with someone and they hurt you or they offend you or they cause trauma and pain to you and you're not willing to forgive them, then the root of bitterness is going to be established in your heart. It's going to be planted in the soil of your life. And the danger of that is you can't control the vines and the branches that grow out of bitterness in your heart. Let me give you, let me give you an example. And, and let's just be honest. Have any of you ever had seasons in your life where you're just bitter? You're just angry? There's four of us. That's great. That's great. This altar should be full this morning when it's come time to repent. That's all I'm saying. When you're bitter, when you're walking in unforgiveness, and when you're angry, everything feeds into that, doesn't it? Like if you're bitter, everything you see, everything you hear, everything you read, whether it's to do with that subject or that person or that situation you're bitter and angry against or not, it feeds into that. You see, I believe the best way that most of us would know it to be said is that unforgiveness, walking in unforgiveness and not forgiving someone is like you drinking a poison and expecting them to die from it. When I have unforgiveness in my heart towards another person, it's not affecting them. Right? But guess who's miserable in the process of? Me. There has to be this moment of understanding of where 
we can no longer allow bitterness to take up root in our hearts and in our lives because we may be able to control whether we're walking in forgiveness or whether we're walking in bitterness, but the one thing that you can't control is the way that bitterness manifests itself in your life. This passage out of Matthew 18, it's not only showing the level of forgiveness that we're extended And you can look in Luke chapter 7 also, towards the end of that. That's where uh, the woman breaks the the vessel of oil and washes Jesus' feet. It says that, you know, a Pharisee invited him in to eat with him, and she did this. And Jesus gives this example, again, of how much is owed and how much is forgiven. So in our lives, to be able to see the depths of forgiveness that Jesus is issuing to you is one of the greatest things you can ever have. Because you don't want to know what is kind of the counter of bitterness? Thankfulness. When bitterness begins to be moved out of your heart, then I can promise you almost 100% of the time, you're going to find thankfulness moving in in its stead. Because when we begin to understand how God has forgiven us, if we are not brought to our knees in thankfulness, if we're not brought to our knees in gratitude and appreciation for all that He has done for us, all that He has forgiven us for, if we don't have an awareness of that, then we may not be flowing in this understanding of His grace and His mercy of forgiveness in our lives. And the way that we relate to one another, that's a really big deal, not not only for us, but for the people around us. I don't think it would be a a far stretch for, for you to grasp the concept, and believe me if I say that, Unforgiveness and bitterness has an incredibly negative effect on our witness. On those who are the lost, in, that we have uh, influence in their lives, that we have relationship with, that we need to be sharing the gospel with, if you're walking around in bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and inviting them to come to church with you where we worship a God who's so good? I don't think that's going to happen. When they can see us being far more uh, willing to hold on to faults and to, to judge and to then justify our shortcomings, it's pretty much a no-go almost every time. I'm going, to, I'm going to read out of uh, the book of First John, and I'm going to read it from the screens up here, a little bit different. This is going to be in the New Living Translation, uh, but First John, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and this is kind of where I want to start winding things down, and a little bit of where we're going to start making a transition here. First John 1, 1 through 4, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him 
And now we testify and proclaim to you that He is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So my question to you this morning is what are you proclaiming? What is your life proclaiming? Because that's what we see out of 1 John 1 here. We see this. We're proclaiming Him. We're proclaiming the good news. We're proclaiming that He is the Word. We are proclaiming that He is eternal life. We are proclaiming that He is the Savior. We are proclaiming that He is the way. You know, when, when I started this, when this was kind of starting to really develop and take shape in my heart when we were in um, North Carolina, I was asked by God a series of questions, some of which were on a church level, some of which were on a personal level, uh, some of which I feel like I'm released to share with you, and some of them that I don't know if I'll ever share. But one of those questions from a pastoral level that I believe God asked me was how big of a deal is it for you as the pastor of First Church to let the people be comfortable there? Now, I'm, I'm, not, talking about, I'm not talking about feeling welcomed. Okay? We want you to feel welcome. We're not talking about feeling at home. We want this to be home. But I, I had to answer the question, and I'll tell you, I don't have any interest in your comfort. I don't want you to be comfortable. Because I want you to think back in your life. When was the last time that comfort, comfort ever equated to growth? I remember when I was growing up, I grew like really fast. Like I've been this same height since like seventh grade. I had more hair. That's about it. But I grew like extremely quickly. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, one of the first times it ever happened to me, just my knees just hurting, just like aching. And I go in there and I wake my mom up and she explains to me like, oh, it's, it's okay. These are just growing pains. Anybody ever remember having like growing pains? I mean, it's kind of hard for us now. It's like we just have pain. <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's just it. You wake up in the morning and then you, of course, you make that sound to roll onto your side and set up in the bed. We're all from, <laughs> yeah. And then you sit there and you gather yourself for about 20 minutes. <laughs> but I remember growing pains. And I remember when mom told me about that, my desire for growth, because I wanted to be really tall. Like, I wanted to grow a lot. But once I found out that there's pain involved with growth, you know what I wasn't so excited about? Growing. And how easy is it for us to just want to be comfortable? 
How easy is it for you? Now, I've asked you a couple times to think of a person, think of a situation, think of something in your life that has caused you pain, that's hurt you, that's caused you trauma. And I've asked you to think about them and what it's going to take for you to walk in forgiveness with them. So now I, I don't do I don't know if I've ever done this here. So just humor me. I want to just ask you to close your eyes. I know some of you already have a habit of that when I'm speaking. Uh, but this is a momentary closing your eyes. Now I want you to picture that person, that situation, that thing that caused you hurt. I want you to ask yourself, what is it going to take for me to walk in forgiveness in this situation? Okay, you can open your eyes now. What are you proclaiming? Because if we're walking with unforgiveness, if we're walking with bitterness, then we are not proclaiming Christ. If you have unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart towards anyone or anything, there is a disconnect in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of things that the world religions have in common. A lot of things, like a laundry list of things. Do you know what the, the two that I can think of, and there may be more, but the two that I can think of that sets Christianity apart from all the rest of them? One is that we serve a risen Savior, right? Like There's no other religion, no other faith in the world that has a living Savior, a living God. The second thing is that we're the only religion where forgiveness is a critical piece of it. If you think of the major world religions, I mean, if you think of like Hinduism, if you think of Buddhism, forgiveness really isn't an element in that because what, what's their solution for it? If you're not living a good enough life, what do you do? You just try harder. And if that doesn't work, then, okay, you'll die and you'll come back and try harder then. You know, just hope you do better the next time. There's no forgiveness element there. If you look at the Islamic faith, there's no forgiveness element there. Christianity, our Savior, is the only one who's saying that forgiveness is central to what we believe. Forgiveness is central to what happens in your life. Forgiveness is essential for eternity. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back this morning. We've asked a couple times this question of do you want what God has planned for your life?
Do you want to walk in the will of God? Do you want His will in your life? And I believe the resounding answer that most of us have arrived at is that, yes, we do want that. But allow me to submit to you, I don't think it's possible for us to live a nice, comfortable faith existence and walk in the will of God at the same time. I think we've probably all experienced that in our own lives. And I know that we have a whole book of record of men and women who that is their testimony as well. Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is maybe the most challenging thing that you'll ever do in your life. But what are you proclaiming this morning? What is the proclamation that's being set forth by our lives? Not just by the Word. Not just by what we speak. Not just, and if I'm looking at me as an example, not just what I preach. Not just what I say on Sunday mornings. Not just what I say in conversations with you. But what does my life proclaim when they look at how, what kind of a husband I am for my wife? What kind of a spouse am I? What kind of a father am I? How is, what am I proclaiming when I am in my community? What am I proclaiming when I'm dealing with hardships? What am I proclaiming? What is my life giving testimony to when things aren't going my way? We are called to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's in word, that's in action, that's in forgiveness, and that is even in discomfort.